before we get to our guest, I'm going to start with you, George, because I've just noticed that Conor McGregor has made it front and center where he belongs on this show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. It was a play. And then look behind you, bro. Scoot over have? to the side. Scoot over, scoot over a little bit more. He's fucking high. Oh, he's hiding. Dude. Oh, Connor in the back. He's a sneaky little dude. I like. I didn't know Uriah Faber made it over here. I like it. I like it. Got a I good like lineup it. today. Yeah. Hey, but you'll do as you're told. <laughs> That's good shit. Speaking of UFC, I just took our guest to the Apex a week ago. Not even a week ago. Gary Chupik is with us. Did I say it right? Yeah, you, you got it, up? man. You got All right, it. You good. Got it. Um, let's talk about that. You you were like a kid in a candy store. You liked that, didn't you? Oh, man, I didn't want to leave. I think <laughs> I seriously, I think I was the last person to leave the building besides the staff. It's so good, right? Oh, you hear, you're hearing punches. You're hearing yeah. slaps. You're hearing grunts. It's just an unbelievable experience. And we saw some good fights, some controversial fights. They're still arguing about the main event, who won that fight. Um, kind of crazy. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. The the second to last fight was amazing. Yeah, that was great too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a it was a fun time, and and uh, the apex is just so intimate over there. And then in the crowd, there was Aljamain Sterling, former champ, and you know it was just some good. I still don't know who those tall guys were. Yeah, uh, I, and, I, don't and know. I actually I went and saw Dana that night. Um, later that night at at Red Rock. Uh, and he was playing blackjack with that tall guy, and he introduced me to him, and I didn't even catch his name, and I, I didn't understand what was going on, but um, I know that that guy walked out of uh, Red Rock. It's probably better I don't say his name, uh, but uh, even though I don't remember it, but um, he walked out of, he won, I got there at the tail end of blackjack, and uh, he left. He was at the cashier with Dana as I walked in, and he literally, they gave him like $60,000 in $10,000, like, you know, oh. how they banned it or whatever. Oh, yeah. 60 grand. And he literally was just, he's, you saw it tall. That guy's he's like huge. six, seven. I mean, oh, he's yeah. tall, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Tall and pretty, like, don't he's, fuck with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it, he had literally, he was just walking like with this wad of, of 60 grand and he's got big hands. And he's like just holding it. And he's like, he talked to us for a little bit. And he was like, oh, I'll see you, Dana. And he, he walked out. I'm like, he's just going to walk to the fucking casino with the fucking stacks of cash. And Dana was like, I mean, you got to want that money real bad. You want to fuck with him to get it? I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. But geez. Yeah, he's, he was huge. And he looked like, I don't know. I thought that he had something to do with music or a band. Or yeah, it looked like that, that way. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'll have to look it up. I could figure out who he is yeah. and stuff. Uh, and I will, I'll let you know when I figure it out. But he definitely lives in Nashville. I did get that yeah. part. But yeah, I, I felt stupid going what do you do like it felt yeah, like yeah, yeah that's a dumb question though. yeah it's just 60 grand he's just carrying it like you'd carry like uh, a bag of chips yeah <laughs> well he he has such big hands right he yeah probably just looks yeah, like just nothing. a grip on oh, it yeah, yeah of course of course yeah it's pretty crazy i mean dana brings a backpack you know at least yeah. the money goes in the back you know this guy's fucking you know, just yeah stroll through the casino there was a lot Saturday of stars night. there was a lot of stars in the seats that night it was good yeah it's so good and uh, we got some Dana time. That was kind of cool. Was he was you spotted special. him. He was coming in. He doesn't normally come in from that way. I was kind of surprised. Yeah, that was and, super uh, special to meet him. Yeah, leaned over the rail. I was like, "Yay, skinny!" You know, and he uh, and we chopped <laughs> yeah, it up with him. Yeah, he looks great, doesn't, doesn't he? he? Oh my god, he's oh, fifty-three. He looks, it's amazing. Shredded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks amazing. Yeah, he was whispering a few things, you know, in my ear and just saying about some of the stuff that he was taking. Yeah, but, um, but he's doing a great job. He's in the gym. You know, he's working hard. Yeah, he's he looks fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, like uh, when you watch a sporting event and you see the winner and the loser, it's it's an interesting because you probably or you definitely not probably you bring so much to the table. You can help both. Um, and is it weird for you? Like, 
Like if you saw someone that lost, obviously that pitch is probably easier to make maybe when a guy's looking for answers or what's wrong with my career or whatever. And whatever the sport is, baseball, football, basketball, right? Mm-hmm. How do you go about convincing a winner that they need you? Yeah, that's really interesting. So a winner always has more resources to begin with than a loser, right? Because yep. a loser is operating from a place of depletion. And so f- for me to be able to give them the fuel to be able to improve like significantly, it can be pretty tough sometimes. But when you have someone who's a winner and they're already really good at stuff, man, that's when you really want to be able to come around them and teach them and show them and encourage them different mental performance tricks and, and skills. And I remember Pete Carroll saying, you know, the best always want to coach, right? The best always, they, and they want to be coached every day. For example, Russell Wilson, he was talking to Trevor Mowat every day. It wasn't like once a week or a couple times a week. They were talking every single day. And so, yeah, the best always want to coach. They always want to get better. They're always looking for an edge. Yeah. How did you get into this to begin with? Yeah, it's really interesting. Because it's probably a hard thing to crack into, right? It really is. Yeah. Because you're as good as your client list. You have that chicken and egg scenario when you start, right? Like you you need the good clients to validate what you do. And how do you get the clients if you're new? Yeah, it's really tough because there's a, there's a, like a big castle wall around athletes and teams. Right. And to be able to penetrate that wall is really hard because it's a trust issue. Right. So who have you worked with is basically your calling card, right? Like who have you worked with and, and how have they improved when you work with them? So it's, really doing a lot of free work at first, to be honest. And, um, and then hopefully you get noticed about the results that you're producing with people. But, you know, I mean, I always say my fruit grows in other people's trees. So my success is always dependent upon the client that I'm helping. So they've got to be able to improve quickly. And if a head coach hires me and they have me work with a player, they've got to see improvement immediately or right. else I'm gone. Like right. I'm never going to get hired again. So if I do this, you know, this mindfulness stuff and that's all that I do, you know, I'm in big trouble. So mental performance is like a pie. There's about 15 or 20 pieces of the pie. Mindfulness is one of them, but there's a lot of different pieces of the pie. So how I got into this was I was actually, this is kind of weird to say this out loud, but I was a pastor for 27 years. <laughs> you told me that was yeah, Saturday. Yeah, it's just... crazy. I never wanted to be a pastor either. That wasn't, that was not on my wish list of things to become when right. I was younger, but I just felt like that was the right thing to do in the right moment. And then I'd done it for 25, 26 years, and then I hit a wall. I was just tired. I think I just burnt out, mismanaged myself, and I went through this kind of this year period of like, what am I going to do with my life? Like, mm-hmm. like I can go back into the ministry and do that, or... I can extend the trajectory of what I've already been doing, which is doing a lot of leadership stuff. And so I decided to open up my own leadership company. And once I sort of aligned with, I think, the way I'm naturally wired with those gifts, talents, and abilities, and then I found myself in like 34 cities in the next year teaching leadership. And so it was just just a crazy experience. And it was just a real great lesson for me that we need to align with the way that we're naturally wired. You can let your ambition drive you, or you can kind of surrender to the way that you're naturally wired. So uh, along the way, I had a friend that introduced me to Russell Wilson's mental coach, Trevor Moad. If you don't know who Trevor is, Trevor was like peak of the mountain. Like Mm -hmm. there's nobody better in the entire country or maybe the world. So he was working with Alabama and the best athletes. And he was always on ESPN. He had a show on ESPN. He was on every network, television network. And so we were just chatting and, and he just took a liking to me and we ended up just carrying on conversations on a regular basis. And he didn't really say, hey, you know, can I mentor you? But he, but he really was a mentor to me. But he passed away 18 months ago. But um, during that time, he said, hey, well, show me your stuff. Like, what do you got? Like, what's, 
what's the meat and potatoes of what you do and what you teach? And so I showed it to him and he goes like, man, that's really impressive. Like, so he calls Russell Wilson's brother, Harrison, and Harrison uh, runs, he's a CEO of the, their company, Limitless Minds. And so they said, hey, we got to hire this guy. And so that's kind of how I started. That's and I had studied a lot of mental performance in that year where, you know, I was just trying to rebound from my own life. And I was an athlete growing up, but played a little bit of football, but I, I just was trying to rebuild myself. And so I just ended up reading a lot of sports psychology because I was really interested in it. But, um, but my rise in the, in this industry, which is still not very high, but, um, but it's been pretty remarkable. Most people, most people don't, don't get to do what I do. Yeah. In fact, I even interviewed with the Seattle Mariners and the, uh, Andy McKay, the, the uh, mental training coach for the Seattle Mariners said, listen, just go do your own thing. Like you don't need to work for us. Like they would take, it would actually be a step down for you to work for us. Just go do your own thing. And eventually most people in my industry have to do that anyway, because the team will let you go. And if they want to downsize their mental performance staff, then you, you end up being where I am anyway. So I just decided that I was going to jump in full, you know, just, just jump in the pool and try and make it work. And here I am just getting more and more opportunities to share with athletes and coaches and teams. And it's actually kind of interesting. A lot of coaches are hiring me for themselves, interesting. which is really interesting yeah. because the pressure on these coaches sure. is just, it's, it's just almost unfair yeah. what, what kind of pressure they're on. In most cases, thankless if you win, all the blame uh, when yep. you lose. It's almost like being the quarterback, right? Yep. Or, yep. Yeah. And with all the NIL stuff for college coaches, it's ridiculous because now there's no offseason. Right. So these college players are getting paid. Right. And so right. they're it's like added this whole different dimension to their job. And so there's no days off for them is confidence is obviously the number one uh, game changer for just anyone, not athlete or non-athlete. Right. Yeah. Confidence is what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah, almost always. Yeah. There's a couple different reasons why. Number one, if you're if you're not sure of something, then you're hesitant and hesitancy in any sport is death. Yeah. Like you, you cannot succeed being hesitant at any sport. So that it, whether it's one tenth of a second yeah. or if it's a reaction time, emotional regulation, decision making, speed, agility, strength, I mean, all of it put together, but it's all necessitated on confidence. And so actually, I'm not a positivity guy. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually pretty anti-positivity. Keep going. Tell me more. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> so I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Um, so I think positivity is can be helpful in short-term situations, but for the elite athlete, I don't think positivity is very helpful. I think it's more of a fleeting feeling that you have that can be helpful, and we know negativity works, but we don't. We're not really sure how much positivity works. So I don't really believe in positivity, but I really believe in optimism. So the di difference between optimism and positivity is, is that optimism always requires a reason for someone to be optimistic. So if you say, I'm going to jump out of a plane and, uh, and I'll say, well, have you ever jumped out of a plane before? And if you say, well, no, I'm just going to be positive about it. I'm like, well, yeah, you can be as positive as all get out, but if you don't, if you haven't had any experience, if you haven't taken any classes or done it before, or you know, been a partner with, you know, with two guys jump out of a plane, they're strapped to the same harness. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can't prove to me that you haven't given yourself reasons to be optimistic that you can jump out of a plane, then you probably shouldn't jump out of a plane, no matter how positive you are. This really hit home for me when I had a client out of Tacoma, Washington, and he had a ten-year-old son. And he had a 10-year-old neighbor. And so they went skiing down a Black Diamond ski hill at Mount Baker. And this was about two years ago. And so they all went down as a group of kids. And this one, his next-door neighbor kid said, well, I, I, I've never gone down a Black Diamond ski hill before. And so they all his friends were saying, you can do it. You can, you know, just trying to cheer him on and be positive. <laughs> the kid went down the hill and lost his life.
No. He lost his life. So, so positivity can be dangerous, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, you might lie to yourself. And I never, ever, ever encourage athletes to lie to themselves. So they can talk. I mean, sometimes we can talk ourselves into being positive and that kind of thing. But I would yep. rather you just prove to yourself that you are putting in the work because I'll take an optimistic athlete over a positive athlete 10 out of 10 times because I know the optimistic athlete's putting in the work. Mm-hmm. So if I say to an athlete, like, what reason do you have to be optimistic that you're going to play well on Sunday? And if they start naming, like, I eat well, I'm in the gym, I watch film, I stay extra, I do this, I do that. I'm like, yep, you have every reason to be optimistic. And they play that way. So, so I think... If I come across an optimistic athlete, they're almost always confident because they put in the work. Mm-hmm. So positivity, eh, that can take it or leave. It's positivity like, is on hope is not a strategy yeah, in the highway. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> or take, for example, someone who's in, let's say, a Navy SEAL. Yeah. Like, they don't need to be positive to do their job well. Right. Right. They, right. they have put in the work and they know it. Right. right. So they do their job. Interesting. Yeah. Um, have, have you had, uh, is it easier to work with the men or women in terms of, cause I feel like men are maybe we're more stubborn. Maybe I'm generalizing. I'm maybe I'm going to get hate for this, but yeah. like, I feel like we're more closed minded than women. Do you find that? Yeah, I do. I do because there's more ego. Right? right. And I don't think ego is a bad thing. I like a lot of people talk about ego being a bad thing. I'm like, Hey, if God gave it to you, use it. Right. Right. It's kind of like carbs. Like if you have excess carbs, you know, you don't want yeah. excess carbs, but a little bit of carb, you know, from yeah. time to time, like that's, that's a normal, yeah. healthy thing. World-class sprinters, wide receivers, they're, oh, yeah. they're arrogant. Oh, they yeah. got ego, oh, man. Yeah. They got ego. <laughs> and we want yeah. that. So I always tell my athletes, I want just like in the ceiling in this, in this room is those tile ceilings, right? Mm-hmm. I want your ego and your confidence to be bumping up against that. And if you go too high from time to time, eh, just, you know, come on back, you right. know, just come on back a few inches. And, but that's where I need you yeah. to play confident. Yeah. Interesting. Um, have you worked with any fighters yet? You know, I was just asked that question earlier. I have not, and I've been dying to work with them. Yeah. So 80% of sports mental training, I think, is the same. Like, it's cross-sport sure. or cross-discipline. But 20% is unique to that sport that you just have to figure out. So I would have to do some deep diving into fighting, but I would love to do fighters because that yeah. would be really fascinating. Yeah, I would think, because I feel like they need it the most. Like, it's such an emotional... You know, it's interesting, like, with sports... Um, Here's the other thing. Like, I know you've worked with baseball players, right? So it's like, if you're a baseball player, you play during the season 162 games. If you go 0 for 4 and you strike out four times today, tonight, yeah. uh, you're right back on the field tomorrow, right? Yeah, if you're yeah. a pitcher, okay, you got to wait five days. Uh, if you're a football player, you got a week. You know, basketball, same thing. Tomorrow night, you can get them. Hockey, tomorrow night, you can get them. Uh, fighting, it might be three months, four months, five months, six months, a year. And I don't think time is your friend yeah. when you're a fighter, right? That the, right. in terms of confidence, if you're coming off a loss or yeah. an injury or whatever. Well, because you have to constantly prove things to yourself, but it's hard to prove it to yourself when you're not in the ring fighting in a fight that means something, right? right? Practice is one thing, you know, sparring is another thing, but but you got to get back in the ring. That's how you build your confidence. So a fighter to lose two or three fights in a row, that's pretty, right. that's pretty tough on you emotionally, for sure. Yeah, especially in the UFC, because if you lose two in a row, usually the rule of thumb, I mean, there's many and many exceptions, but as a rule, like if you lose three fights in a row in the UFC and sometimes two, you get cut. So yeah, there's a lot, if you've lost two in a row and like you you have another fight uh, and on the books, you know, like if I lose this, yeah. I'm, I might be gone. Yeah, and there's a lot at stake, right? Like these guys take so much punishment. They put so much work into it. The pay, you know, they, they're working hard for every penny that they get. Like it's tough, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Now, do you work with a lot of like CEOs as well? 
Yeah, that's really interesting. Like uh, when I worked for Limitless Minds um, and uh, and even just doing what I do now, more and more businesses are hiring me. Yeah, more and more businesses, more and more CEOs, more and more sales teams. It's it, In fact, Trevor Moad told me when I was um, being mentored by him, he kept on saying to me, Gary, go business, Gary, go business. Right. So your sports is what kind of puts you in the room for business. Yeah, it makes sense. But the business piece is really important. And what's really interesting about business is that athletes generally have this, like this downtime in between performances. Right. CEOs don't get any downtime. Yeah. And I think it's different judgment too, right? Like you said, if you're working with an athlete, you have to turn him around quickly. You're on the yeah. clock quickly. Where if you're dealing with a CEO or a VP or something like that, like I think like you have more runway, right? You have at least quarterly earnings. You have, yeah. you know, and it's also hard to measure their their wins and losses yep. aren't always so measurable because it may just be culture, company culture, that kind of stuff yep. that you're you're helping them with. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing too is that that replenishment period for them just doesn't really exist unless they go on vacation for a week. But even then, they're on their phones or whatever, so they actually never really get a chance to replenish. And I call it the oscillation cycle. Mm -hmm. You know. If you're to the extent that you're you're um, exerting energy, you kind of have to let yourself be, come down. Like what goes up must come down in proportionate right. measures. But but oftentimes we don't do that in proportionate measures. But then what ends up happening is their performance starts to wane over time, and that's how a lot of them get burnt out. So you know to try and tell a CEO who's you know got an ego, yeah, um, you need to rest more wisely right because resting your resting yourself and entertaining yourself are two different things mm. like resting and entertaining so resting is very different in that you are doing things that generally speaking replenish you but entertaining yourself i mean i don't know about you but if i watch netflix for a couple hours i'm tired after watching netflix yeah. for a couple hours i'm not really not replenishing myself so the quality of the replenishment um, is something that we can train what do you do? I mean, you're human yourself. So what do you do when you're having a bad day, a bad week, whatever, but you have to answer the bell and go to work? Is it hard to separate uh, Gary's personal life with Gary's work life? Yeah. Well, I'm human. You're right. Just like everybody else. And uh, I have to stress test all the stuff that I teach. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's got to work for me. So if I'm going through a difficult family situation, yeah, it's 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 really hard. But what is really helpful is that I'm keeping the same rhythms, whether I'm going through something really difficult in my life or I'm, I'm cruising and, and everything is going really well. So those, I'm not really, like I do believe in habits. I do believe in discipline, but I think most people misunderstand those things. So rhythms are, are way more important than disciplines. Mm. So to have a rhythm of high performance is to identify those things in your life on a daily or weekly basis that put you in the best position to succeed. So you can never control an outcome ever with anything. Like you can throw the best pitch in the world and it could be hit for a home run. So to identify those rhythms that put you in the best position to win every day is, is just, that's, that's, that, like, that's your job. And that's what I talk about having an internal locus of control. If you control your, yourself internally, then your job every day is to do those five or seven things that put you in the best position to succeed. If you don't do those things and your life and the quality of your life and the metrics by which you decide you have a great day, if they're external, well, you have no control over those external things, but you have a lot of control over those internal things. So when it comes to my own personal life, yeah, I mean, it's, it's doing my rhythms no matter what is going on externally in my life. And do you, are you a fan of like, uh, people that get in like the same routine every day, the same thing and like, a, like make a, to, a, a, essentially a to-do list for the day and knock out item by item. Is that like, is that yeah. a yeah. key? Yeah. Cause I'm terrible at that to be honest. Like I'm not a, 
Uh, I'm not a write stuff down and anything that remotely feels like homework, yeah. I fucking go the <laughs> other way. Uh, you know, George uh, gives me simple task. Just watch your episode every week and send me time codes for clips for the show. And I have fucked it up for at least hey, 12 months. The people love it. I mean, <laughs> hey, me making the clips, I think, is done just fine. For sure, for well, sure. But if you get to identify those things that just naturally, like you're different than everybody else, right? Yeah. So you identify your five things. And the reason why I pick five or seven is because I think you, you have to stack wins together. So to me, if I do three out of the five, I win. If I do two or less, I lose. So I literally have a calendar in my closet yeah and i put w's and l's interesting in my closet on that calendar because what i'm trying to do is, is create momentum one win is great two wins in a row is great three yeah. wins in a row feels good if i'm stacking four and five wins now i've got momentum and confidence in my life yeah so i'm taking care of myself and but the but as to what you're talking about you get to decide what those are so if you say you know what when i work out that's a good day yeah right when i eat well that's a good day. When I get a certain amount of hours of sleep, that's a good day. There's three right there. Yeah. You might, you know, might have a meditation or something that you, you know, mindfulness or whatever you do or journal or something. Well, that might be a fourth thing. Yeah. You know, a fifth thing might be, um, you know, I, I want to learn something new every day because I'm an insatiable learner. So, yeah. you know, so you get to decide what they are. No one else decides those for you. So make it easy on yourself. Yeah. And just do those things because you know that those put you in the best position to succeed every day. Yeah, I mean, uh, Vanessa, my, you haven't met Vanessa, right? My, my girlfriend yet. Um, so she's out of town, right? Today's Tuesday? What's today? Tuesday? Yeah. Tuesday. Okay. So it's the end of Tuesday, essentially, right now. And she gave me a list of things to do while she was back home visiting her parents this week. And the top two things, like, you know, it's literally feed the cats, do this, do that, yeah. do this. And the top two things on my list, get your car smogged so I can get it registered because it was due in May. And yeah. this is now June, yeah. right? Uh, get the car smogged. And call and book us a room for opening day at Del Mar for horse racing, which is coming up next month also, and pretty soon there won't be any rooms. Those two things are on top of my list. It is the She left yesterday morning, so I had all day Monday, all day today. I've yet to do either of those <laughs> <laughs> Either of those two things. I had. Did you say hotel at Del Mar? Yeah. I'll do some homework. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> so, so like those are two things. If I worked off a list, I mean, shit, I have a list, Gary. It's yeah. it's posted, noted up on the yeah. thing right above yeah. where my car keys are, and fucked it up. Still, still haven't done it. Yeah, I don't know how to help you. <laughs> I can do relational counseling. Right? So just look me up. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, but someone might say, you know, on someone's list might be, hey, listen, if I was going to move two boulders today, what, what would they be? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I was like, you can't move all the pebbles, right? Because there's too many of them. Right. And you just kind of weigh yourself down. But if I was to move a couple boulders, what would they be? And sometimes you just, you know, if, if it would be helpful, you might say, what are the couple boulders I need to move? Yeah. Um, when it comes to working like with athletes and baseball players, do they prefer that you are in the shadows, meaning are, are you allowed to not gloat or brag, but like, you know, obviously, like, let's say you're working with a baseball player, a home run hitter, and he's in a slump and you turn him around and he fucking launches five home runs and, and on, on a 10 day road trip. I know you'd probably want to shout that from the mountaintops. <laughs> are, a, are you allowed to or B, do, like, what's what are the rules when it comes yeah, to that? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I, you know, I view my clients just like a doctor and a okay. patient. Yeah, I don't ever talk about it. Right. You know? And it's like, it's hard for me because like in my industry, if you're working with an athlete, you want to put them on social media for, sure. for that validation that you were talking about earlier, yep. right? You got to validate yourself. Yeah. So, but I hate doing it because I, to me, my clients are not trophies. 
you know? And so I yeah. try and just remain in the background. Yeah. So, so you'll say you work with a team, but you won't single out the people. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. And the other thing too is that stuff like this feeds people's egos, right? Like yeah. people in my industry, like, oh, I'm taking pictures with all these athletes and I'm right. just like, man, just let them be people. Like, right. Just let them be, yeah. just let them be people. And you don't need to take the credit for that. So when they do well, you yeah. know, internally I do well. And you have those internal proud father moments oh, essentially, oh, right? Yeah. You see a oh guy my gosh, all the time. Get it done. All the time. And, and to me, like my success rates a hundred percent. That's awesome. I ne I never have anybody just stagnant or go backwards. I never do. Now it might take a little bit of time, but yeah. they but they never they they it always works. It's just a matter of giving them enough instruction and time and just teaching them not what to think but how to think for success. Have you had uh, times where where guys look at you because maybe they have ego or it's just like you know the team forces it on them oh, or yeah. whatever and the guy's like oh, oh yeah kidding me I got to sit with Gary now all the time for an hour it or happens whatever. all the time and then you have the breakthrough with him all the time that's it's cool just, and they acknowledge it all the time yeah 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 it's it's really cool like I'll have I had one athlete a couple of weeks ago just in tears because our twelve sessions was up and really oh yeah he was just well, so you actually tears. quote unquote like discharge them at some point. Yep. Yep. I Got mean, it. I mean, oftentimes I'll be hired for a certain, like a certain length of a contract or yep. a certain amount of sessions, but generally speaking, most of the athletes, and it's getting a little tougher actually, because most of the athletes I work with don't want to stop. Mm. So instead of meeting, you know, uh, you know, four times a month or three times a month or two, two times a month, they at least want to meet once a month just to keep fresh. How about as guys retire, I would think that's also a, a, a thing because, you know, to go from crowds cheering and all that adrenaline oh, yeah. rush oh, yeah. that you get when you are active yeah. when you stop it's like i've worked with enough athletes over the years like they'll all tell you like it's funny people are your best friend when you're you know yeah. on the patriots and tom brady and you're yeah. on a playoff run when you retire uh they don't pick up your calls anymore yeah is it hard have you have you worked with some all, guys like to, to almost time. battle maybe depression or or what do I do now? Like the feeling of being lost? Huge. That's a huge issue. Most guys have an identity crisis. Right. Because their performance was was uniquely tied to their identity. Right. Like how I think about myself is whether I win or not. Right. Or whether I start or not. Or whether I'm a, you know, a perennial backup. You yeah. Know? And so it really affects them a lot. And so they do have an identity crisis. It's, it's almost like a disassociative disorder. Yeah. Like they, they don't really know who they are. They disassociated with their identity. Yeah. And it's been like that for years. It's yeah. not like this has just happened in the last year or two. Sure. It's been since high school that they've been playing this game, right? Or earlier. So, um, so I have something called a game plan for life. And mm. so it's, it's to help players in transition. Like some players will do it to optimize their off the field um, life and what they do, like how they do with, you know, what they do with their life and how, and, and how they do it. But a lot of guys hire me just like, help me figure out the transition. Like, what am I supposed to do next with mm -hmm. my life? But it's, it's definitely an identity crisis. Yeah, I would think so. Because I've never talked to him about it, but I'm real good friends with Maurice Green. He was a Olympic gold medalist, fastest man yeah. in the world for like six or seven years yeah. in the 100 meter. Uh, he's been retired for a long time. But he was a world record holder for many, many years, um, pre-Usain Bolt, obviously. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I've never talked to him about it, but I would imagine it's got to be hard like to go from breaking records and winning gold medals at the Sydney Olympics in Sydney, you know, and, and cheering, you know, having America cheer for you and all that that comes with it to now he's coaching football uh, at, a, at a high school in, in yeah. uh, Arizona. Yeah. Like it's got to be tough. It's got to be a tough transition. Yeah, it is. And a lot of guys just don't know what to do with, or they'll have a teammate that's doing real estate or some other right. location. They'll say, well, come join me. Well, they don't know what else to do. So they do it. Right. Right. But, um, but 
we just need to figure out how they're wired and 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 who they are apart from the sport, right? From, yeah. Apart from football or whatever sport it is, and help just figure out who they are. And so it's a it's a series of exercises that I take them through, but it's it's it sets their path for years to come because it it just it capitalizes on their identity and their their character traits and how they're wired. So I'm actually not inventing anything new, or I'm not really saying, well, you should do this with your life. It's actually just all based on who they naturally are. And for a lot of guys, it is coaching. You know, yeah. it is helping other players to succeed in that sport. So how different other personalities like golf compared to baseball, baseball to football, football to basketball, et cetera, like are they grossly different? Yeah, no, they're they're pretty much the same. It's just highly competitive, really like, highly competitive guys in their sport. So yeah, and and there's a lot of football players that, um, like I was thinking about Cam Chancellor, like Cam Chancellor, nicest guy in the world, right? Just yeah. an absolute gem of a person, and really. Um, just jovial, but as soon as the helmet came on, it was like, just do not talk to him. Like, really? Just leave him alone. And he would say that he would go into a dark place and and you just, it was like a switch would go off and you just never talk to him. He didn't want to talk to anybody before a game. Um, if you think about a golfer, it just depends on their personality. Like, yeah. It's just, it's really interesting that way. It's weird. You played sports growing up, obviously, too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when I played baseball, like Little League, high school, like coaches, since I, as far as I can remember, little, when I was a little kid, Coaches would always say that this game's 90% mental. They'd always say it's 90% mental. And I never really understood it. I don't know if they really explained or maybe I was just fucking slow, Gary. That's on the table. <laughs> no, they I'm didn't not, understand it. They didn't understand. Do you agree with that? Like, 100% agree with Like, that. I heard that in, in Little League and high school, and, and like, I, I, I didn't realize what they meant. Like, I thought they meant, like, just mental mistakes or whatever. Like, that's, that's part of it. But, like, not really. Like, they, they meant, like, it's especially like hitting or fielding. Like, if you're out there at shortstop and you're like, please don't hit to me, you're fucked. And yeah. if you're, like, <laughs> shaking in your shoes and you don't want to, you know, fuck, I don't want to have to hit this sitting. I don't want to yeah. face this guy. You're fucked. Yeah. And, like, yeah. that beating that, it's, it's a mental game. I think when you're little – it's really hard. And like uh, some kids get it or have that yeah. confidence. I didn't have it. Um, I had to really work at it. Yeah. I don't know if I ever really got it, you know? Yeah, it's it's hard too. And like, like it's, what's interesting about youth sports is that the, the testosterone doesn't kick in. Right. There's a, like a two or three year window where it kicks in and you can see it in, in youth athletics. And so like youth athletics football, like some kid will pick it up. They'll get at that shot at an mm. 11 and then another kid will get it at 14. So you kind of don't know yeah. that there's that aggressive gene that just sort of man yeah. manifests. But um, but in terms of like professional sports, the honest truth is most guys who play professional sports are freaks of nature. Yeah. Like physical freaks sure. of nature. If the mental performance piece enhances their their you know ability. But yeah. but most of the guys, I mean, you know, especially like guys in the NFL, like they just shouldn't move like that. Like yeah. that's not normal right. what they're doing. If they practice the mental piece, um, yeah. I mean, Michael Jordan had Tim Grover, but Michael Jordan had the talent to be right. there, right? And the work ethic and all right. that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, it's uh, it it just manifests at different age ages, mm. and it's uh, at most sports at that level, it really is mental. Like yeah. they're they're all talented enough to be there, yeah. right? And sometimes they just don't. You don't have the forty time, or you right. don't have you right. know, the, sure. the physical ability. But if you're good enough to make it, um, you know, there's a lot of guys who don't get drafted, right? And, right. You know, or they're in the latter part of the draft. Like the NFL has more people in the latter part of the draft than any other sport. Right. You know, I mean, and Mike Piazza's in the Hall of Fame. He was a, the last pick of the draft for the Dodgers as yeah. a favor to Tommy Lasorda. I mean, yeah. really get your head wrapped around that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
We I, almost didn't get Mike Piazza <laughs> in the big leagues. I mean, that's just crazy. George, you've you've played football. Your brother plays college football. You've coached football. Yes. Does this all hit a strike oh, a nerve for you? A hundred percent. Yeah. It, it makes me reanalyze like my young year. I mean, I was coaching high schoolers at the varsity level. I was the at, at twenty years old, twenty one, and then I was hired to be the head varsity wrestling coach during uh, COVID. And I got that job at 23 and it was just like, I mentally myself was psyching myself out and I could have definitely benefited from a lot of those things. Breathing work definitely helps. Like I like your little, get a certain amount of wins a day. Yeah. That helps me. But it's, it's, it's when you're a coach, it's a lot bigger than just uh, show up for practice. Like if you're a real coach, like it goes all the way throughout your entire life throughout that season. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, I, one of the questions I had for you, Gary was, uh, do you watch film with them? Like, do you watch practices? Do you, or do you take uh, what they have to say and kind of run with it based on how truthful they're being? Yeah, no, I don't watch film with them. I'm not allowed in those rooms, generally speaking. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, yeah. That's, that's not um, a place where, where I do my work. So usually I'm either going to talk to a whole team or I'm going to work with a group of players, like a position group, or I'll work with an individual player. But yeah, generally speaking, I'm not in those those in that those film rooms. Interesting. Why? Why is that? Just it's just yeah. I think they're proprietary just, kind of thing no, or whatever. Think, like no, I just, think it's just all business, right? I mean, they're talking it. X's and O's, right? And right. I'm not I'm not an X's and O's guy, right? Okay. So so I I stay in my lane, and it's very regimented for a coach. Like I'll have they'll say seven minutes go. You know, have you ever worked with a player in any sport and then you've met the coach and maybe observed the coach and you're like, fuck, man, none of these guys are going to get there with this coach because he's he's programmed wrong. I'm here to work with players, but the coach is the guy that needs the work. Does that happen? A hundred percent. Really? Oh, my God. In pro pro sports? Common. Yeah, common. I would say hockey's the worst. Really? I would say hockey is the most controlling negative environment (laughs) that I know. And it's true. And what's crazy about hockey is that, like, I'm from Canada, right? Like, right. from the prairies in Canada. Like, we're a hockey factory. And and when you hit the bantam stage, like, you're talking, like, 13 or 14 years old, you get drafted in a bantam draft, and you're not home again. Like, literally, when you're 14, you move away from home, and you are not going back home. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's unbelievably, like, they're so young, and they, so they get, you know, we call it billeted. They get billeted out to different homes of yeah. families that they don't know. And they, and that family basically, you know, you know, provides a place for them to stay and, 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 you know, is, is their surrogate family. Yeah. So hockey, hockey coaches are probably the most intense, most controlling. Yeah. I would say hockey's the worst. Interesting. Out of all the sports. Really? Yeah. And have you worked with the tennis players? Uh, I haven't tennis. I have, uh, CrossFit, Olympics, um, gymnastics, USA figure skating. I would say that USA figure skating, I think is, I mean, a lot of people say that golf is the most difficult mentally like challenging sport. I would say it's gymnastics. Really? Yeah. Gymnastics and figure skating are kind of like a one, two. And then I would say golf. Um, but you think about figure skating at that level, if they do like, if they're off one tenth of a second on a jump, Mm -hmm. it is over. It is, you are done. And that's it. And so, and they're super young, right? And they're super young. Or gymnasts are really young, oh, right? Yeah. All of them. Oh yeah. And just the intense pressure that coaches put on the gals. 
and and the guys. It's just it's it's unlike anything you've ever seen. Do you think we're too hard on kids in sports, or is it good because it helps shape them for the future, or is it a little yeah, bit of both? It's a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Yeah, I would say a little bit of both. The the really gut wrenching thing for me is to coach a young man who's you know, 12, 13 years old, which I don't do very often, but every now and again, I'll just do it for fun. Mm-hmm. But, um, but their parents put so much pressure on them. Right. And it's that, again, it's that their brain is literally not capable of doing what their parents want them right. to do. And so, and they'll hit a growth spurt at some time or something will click in their mind or it'll be hormonal. Something will happen and they'll, they might just be a late bloomer. But the amount of pressure that parents put on kids, is, yeah. it's really unfair for the kids. Yeah, I remember playing like Little League with guys that were, they were great at baseball and their parents were so fucking overbearing and oh, crazy yeah. Oh, yeah. that they actually didn't even want to play by the time they got to oh, high yeah. school. They might have yeah. just to please their parents, mainly their dad. And then they could have gone on to play college and they were like, I have a couple friends that were like, fuck it, I'm yeah, over it. Yeah. I'm burnt out. Don't want to play. And it's just so heartbreaking because the kid actually wants to please their parents. Right. Right. That, I mean, more than anybody that they want to please besides their coach, it's their parents. And so when their parents are coming down hard on them, it's just, it's, it's just brutal. Yeah. Do you feel pressure when you're working with guys, like just to get the peak performance out of them? Like, do you, are you hard on yourself sometimes? Yeah. You know, not anymore. At first I was, but, but I, I believe so much in my process. Mm-hmm. So I, I think of it like when I teach a skill, it's like a thread and then I teach another skill and it's another thread and I teach another skill and it's another thread. And then after a while, I can start weaving these threads together to make a really strong cloth. And I always don't, I don't always know what thread sort of, sort of does it for them. Mm-hmm. But initially speaking, there's just some fundamentals of all uh, uh, competitive sports that are, are really important. I just find if I teach the, the fundamentals at first, it usually solves a lot of problems. Like for example, in most sports, it's overthinking. Yeah. It's, it's really, I think that's in life, man. It's, it is, it's true. It, yeah. I, I think, I think, informi- I just said earlier today to someone, don't overthink it. Exactly. Like you're overthinking this. Like exactly. just take it at face value and just do it. Just exactly. Go. I call it being intentionally naive. Yeah. I can only I can only understand what you allow me to understand. Like yeah. if you don't say something, I'm not going to guess and try yeah. and figure out why you're saying that or what you mean by that. I can only interpret what you're saying, you know, on at face value. Yeah. And it's your job to communicate what's going on inside of you if you want me to know it. So I think most players that I know overthink stuff. And I say information's like calories. Yeah. Okay. Too much calories, too many calories. Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah. You have, you have too many thoughts going on. Sure. And what happens? You get lethargic, you get tired, you get, you slow down. Yeah. It, it really affects you. And it's the same thing in business with CEOs. Yeah. They'll overthink things. Yep. And all of a sudden their mind is just so yep. full of stuff that they can't act naturally. Like in baseball, we teach this thing called Cape or I teach this thing called um, Cape. So it's, there's 17 seconds on average between pitches. And so we take them through this acronym C stands for control. So control yourself. So mm-hmm. you'll see a lot of players take a deep breath, sigh and yeah. kind of look around for a bit, just kind of gather themselves and tighten their, you know, their, their yep. gloves. And then the A stands for assess the situation. The P stands for make a plan. And then the E stands for execute. And there's two parts to execute is trust your training and trust your instincts. Yeah. So we want you to just trust. So that 17 seconds, we want the baseball players to go through those, those four things because it preoccupies them. So they, they're not thinking about the pretty girl in the stands. They're yeah. not thinking about what somebody else is thinking or if they're letting some, somebody down. It's the, I, we want to control the 17 seconds so they're yeah. not thinking other things. So and it's a highly effective in baseball, but it's also highly effective in most other sports, yeah. this CAPE method. And so 
controlling the amount of thoughts that are going through an athlete's head is really important because we, we really do need them to be very instinctual, but also trust the training that they've had. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like here at the studio, there's 30 something shows or whatever. And, you know, George is, it overlooks a, b- a bunch of shows. And like when we have people come in for the first time, it's always interesting. Like uh, I'll meet people and I'll be like, hey, you should start a podcast, whatever. Like, cause they're so charismatic and at dinner, they light it on fire and they're just so, yeah. they just own the, the audience at dinner. Like they command attention and then they get in here and something weird happens. Yeah. You get in front of this mic and these lights and these silly little cameras and, it, and they clam up. Yeah, no, I always tell them like, you're really like freaking out. We're recording on iPhones, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Relax. Like, calm down. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny. A lot of times they'll come in with notepads and they have all these, this whole agenda on the podcast. I'm like, man, just wing it. Just yeah. go. Just don't overthink it. Just yeah, go. Get in flow state, right? Yeah. Get in flow state. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I actually, it's been part of my journey too. Even though I've been on a platform a you know, probably 5,000 times. Sure. You know, it's always hard for me. I don't find it natural. Just like, I think it was Wilt Chamberlain who would throw up before most games, right? Yeah, yeah. And so he would just be so nervous. Yeah. And so I, I have always not felt comfortable on a stage. But one-on-one, I'm totally fine. So if I can ignore all the cameras and I can ignore the microphone and it's just you and I talking, yeah. I'm totally fine. But once I let it get into my head and right. I overthink it, then I'm in trouble. Yeah, so so along that line, so what about like you're meeting a baseball team, let's say, and you're in the locker room, I would imagine, you know, they introduce you, this is Gary, he's going to help, blah, 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 blah. And now when you get up there, do you have that like, you got to make a speech in like in your head, like, fuck, I got to grab these guys in the next 30 seconds, all 25 of them or whatever it is, right? That, like, are, look, I, that are looking critical right. at me, and right? This one's making 25 million a year. This one's league minimum, 600 grand or whatever league minimum is now. Yeah. Like, how, like, is that hard to... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like a coach will be like, hey, I, I know you wanted to talk about this, but I want you to talk about this now. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't like prepare for that. Right. Right. So I have this saying in my mind that is like, you can't you can't you can't uh, you can't plan for everything, but you can prepare for everything. OK. Yeah. You know, you, can't, yeah, I get you, it. you don't always have a plan. Right. But you can prepare yourself for everything. Yeah. So I've learned to just sort of be prepared to go with the flow and just like, OK, I'm going to have to wing it. But I don't always feel confident that way. But um, but usually I have something I want to say and I, I connect dots. And actually this happened just two days ago. I was put on the spot and, and somebody wanted me to share with the group. And, um, and so I was like, okay, well, what, what would they want me to say? How could I be of highest value? Cause I hate wasting people's time. It's the sure. worst, it's the worst thing in the world is to waste people's time. So, um, I, I hope that I hit a home run. They told me I did, but you know, ask me how I did. I'm like, I don't know. Like, right. I, I hope that worked. And, but you know, when the guys are high-fiving you in the back room and say, man, you killed it. That's a great yeah. job. And you know, so yeah, but it is nerve wracking, not knowing. When you speak to a group of athletes like that, is there a Q and a part? Almost always. And do they do, uh, all the teams individually or separately? Like, do they, are there quest, common questions that they all seem to always come back and ask you? And yeah. what are those? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, it depends on the sport, right? Um, you know, for example, like uh, whether a football team, let's say a football team plays and they lose, right? And so everybody's pissed off and everybody's angry. Well, when's the, when's the worst time to evaluate your performance ever? After a loss. Right after, right? right? Exactly. Yeah, it's right. like you want to beat yourself up and you right. all these things are going through your mind and you think about what you could have done differently. So I teach something called postponing your emotions, you know, okay. or, or scheduling your emotions. So, you know, so, you know, you have a loss, you know, bandage up, you know, do what you need to do. And then the, I mean, the best way to use a loss is to evaluate it when you're in prime condition, right? Like when you're in a, the prime position to learn from that loss. And that's usually the next day or a couple of days later. So I just tell people, listen, schedule your emotions, be pissed off tomorrow at 9 a.m. if you want to for an hour. I mean, I don't really care. Just don't do it tonight. Yeah. And just, you know, do your best to replenish, 
your energy and kind of regroup and just hang in there. And then we'll evaluate tomorrow and feel all, all that you want tomorrow, but just kind of hang in there tonight. So what's the goal for you? Like, what's the, what have you not done that you want to do? Where, where do you take this? Um, what is it just more, more, more kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually my reward <laughs> is working harder, right? Like just work more. I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I mean, in what I'm trying to do is take, um, well, a couple different things. I obviously I want to continue to you know build my own clientele and work with high-profile athletes, and that's what I love doing. But I also want to take mental performance into the high schools mm-hmm. because one of the things that that we are not teaching in high schools is mental performance. Yeah, man. we are teaching mental health, and and my my question that I have for everybody in administration at a school or a school district or at the state level is: you're pouring tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars into this. And by all means, shouldn't we be succeeding? Yeah. I mean, shouldn't we be doing better? I mean, if you were, if you were pouring tens of millions of dollars into something and it wasn't working, <laughs> right. like all the stats are getting worse, <laughs> you know, suicide, depression, yeah. I mean, you name it, you would, be, you would be like, well, let's stop throwing money at this because this ain't working. Right. And so, and so my contention is, why don't we teach them mental performance? Because to me, mental health is like the training room where you go get bandaged up yeah. or, you're, or pregame, you're getting taped up or something. But what I do is I'm the weight room. Mm-hmm. I teach people how to get stronger mentally so that they don't ever have to go to the, into the training room. So let's do that at, yeah. at the, why don't we do that at the high school level? George, so, thoughts? Oh, yeah, yeah. This dude, is speaking your language, right? Yeah, I was an emotional disturbance teacher for three years. Oh, yeah. So uh, when I came in at the ripe young age of 21 years old, there is zero curriculum behind behavior management. Mm-hmm. And there's only life skills. But life skills is meant for people that are at like a kindergarten level. The fact that like exactly what you're talking about here, I was the only classroom in a day that was working on like l- the true skills that you need to succeed in that mental uh, performance. And I was working with people that have struggled to contain their emotions for their entire life. Yeah. And they're 15, 16 years old. So it's uh, amazing what, a couple of years of work with those type of kids and to see what they're able to do. You know, all my kids graduated this past uh, May, which was really exciting for me to see. And I can't help but to think it was because of all that type of mental training that I was able to give them. But I I think you you got a, you got yourself a, a curriculum to write. Yeah, I think exactly I think how you so. Roll it out in a in a school year. I think so. I, right now, there's a couple people that I'm talking to in the state of Florida about adopting my program for high school students, and so why don't we teach them their individuality rather than make them all you know sort of um, you know um, conform to a certain way of thinking? What if we just treated them like individuals? What if we just honored the person that they were and then said, "Hey, listen, you've got talent in this area. Why don't we just let you go?" What's really interesting is I almost I literally almost failed high school. Like I, like back in the day when it, 50% was a pass, yeah. I had 51%. Yeah, that's me Like it was, day. I was struggling just to make it, right? But there's nine different kinds of intelligence. And one of my intelligences was philosophy. Well, you don't learn philosophy in elementary school. They weren't teaching philosophy in high school, but that was my superpower. And I never got a chance to shine with that. So when I got into college and I got into, uh, my for my master's degree, I graduated with high honors because it was more philosophy, right? That was kind of my thing, psych and philosophy. So... So it just didn't provide me that opportunity. And so 
I want to provide high school students an opportunity to figure out who they are and what their strengths are and go start a business. Like, like yeah. go do that. Like, like, wouldn't that be valuable? And the other thing is that when's the last time we ever taught people how to deal with their emotions? Like, when's the last time you took a class on, on like, emotional regulation? Right. First like, right. how many decisions right. do we make every day that are emotional? Yeah. Like, almost all day long. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's just incredible, but we never teach people how to handle their emotions. Yeah. And so I, from, from the sports performance perspective, it's like, that's a huge part of what I teach is you handling your emotions and how do you handle them? So postponing your emotions for you to, you know, to put it off for it. You're not, you're not, you're not sweeping it under the rug. You're just postponing it until sure. you're, you're better able to deal with stuff. Yeah. Uh, you've written how many books? Uh, zero today. What are you waiting on, Gary? I know. I, what are you waiting I on? have so many people asking me to do this. What I, what I think I'm going to do to be, um, yeah, to be transparent is I think I'm going to write a performance journal, like a, like a high performance planner kind oh, of journal. Interesting. So instead of writing a book, I think I'm just going to give people the tool yep. so that they can live a high performance life. And it's based on all my teachings. Yeah. And so I'm in the process of, I actually have it about three quarters written. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah, you're real inspiring. This was really fun. Oh, cool. This was a good time. Cool. You'll have to come back again whenever uh, you're in the Vegas area. We'll hit another fight. Yeah, I would love to do it. And I'm loving Vegas more and more every week. Moving, every, maybe? Every time I come. Well, I just got invited to move here a couple days ago. So who knows? There's All right. a lot, lot going on here for me. So I love coming. Good deal. George, any last words? Uh, yeah. I uh, want to have you on Gridiron Junkies uh, during the season. I'm oh, going to yeah. put together a compilation of bad emotions on the field. Love it. And we'll dissect it. <laughs> Love it. We'll dissect it. Okay, yeah. George hosts his Gridiron Junkies, our, our football show. Yeah, so. I, happy to yeah. be on it. I uh, love that. Excellent. Excellent. All right. All right. Uh, just do what you do at this point, George. Whatever right. that is. We'll You're see good. you guys next week. I like it. How is it? Great.